All right, guys. So uh, I will be bringing the message today um, for anyone who does not know me. Uh, I'm, my name is Jeff. I'm the youth pastor, um, and I will be bringing the message today. Cool. All right. So I, I, I said I wasn't going to bring it up, but uh, Kim started it. Uh, college football. What happened? I mean, oh, okay. All right. Yeah. All right. I won't, I won't carry that conversation on anymore. It's the similar reaction I had to first service. No one talked about it either. Uh, yeah, my team won, but I won't discuss that. I'm afraid y'all won't talk to me. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, it was a, it was apparently a rough game. I didn't I didn't watch it, um, but I, I I followed it on my phone. Um, it was it was like it was their first day playing, from my understanding. That's a direct quote from Sam, I think. Uh, <laughs> so uh, speaking of first days, y'all see how I did that. All right, speaking of first days, I'm particularly really bad at first days. Anyone else in here just really bad at like first days, like first day of school, first day at a new job? All right, I'm flying solo today. Okay, okay, a few of us, a few of us, okay. So I'm particularly bad at like first days. Uh, so mine and Jessica's first date, um, we went to the movies. We did not get to see the same movie, okay? <laughs> That's a bad first date. We're like, hey, how's it going? Yeah, we held hands for like two seconds to get popcorn, and then we split up. It was a, it was a pretty interesting first date. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty bad at first, but, but possibly one of my first worst first days. That's hard to say. One of my baddest first days was uh, whenever I worked at Colinks. I finally made it to IT, and it was this department that I'd wanted into the whole time I was there. And I kind of worked my way up into different departments, and I'd made it, you know, into an office. And, um, and then I finally made it to IT. And on my first day at IT, um, I'm, I have like a trainer shadowing me, trying to teach me everything I'm supposed to do and what I'm not supposed to do. And um, I get a call to go back to my old office right now. For the record, my old office, I worked in SKF Export, which is a fancy way of saying I sat at a cubicle and orchestrated shipments going out of the country. It's as fancy as it sounds. And... So I had to go back to my office, and I had to change over some printers. Now, the, the interesting thing about working with uh, like worldwide shipping is everything is very specific. So even the printers had to go on certain lines, and they had to be connected to certain networks, and they had to have special like permissions, like a little chip that's actually hardware installed into the printer to let them be able to print these documents from these other countries. So it was actually quite complex, and this is my very first day. I have my trainer with me, and we walk up there, and they explain what's going on, and we already know a little bit about it, and um, they explain it. And my trainer, who's relatively new to IT as well, um, said, okay, I don't think that's something we can handle, um, but we'll have Tim come back. And Tim had done it for like 15 years. He knew what he was doing. We'll have Tim come back, and he'll do it. But this is my old office, guys. I ain't going to look like no punk, all right? So, so I'm like, no, no, right? We got this. We can, we can do this. Well, there's how the rest of the story goes. <laughs> so I began dismantling this entire department that I used to work in. Like, I'm unplugging printers, and I'm stacking them up, and I'm moving them over here and moving them over here. And about an hour and a half into it, they're already out of work. Everyone's sitting there looking at me like I have five chairs just turning around watching to see what I'm going to do next. I'm realizing I'm a little bit lost, and I don't know where they're supposed to go. <laughs> And, and like I said, it's very specific. They had to be connected to certain networks. So I have like Ethernet cables, like Cat5 cables hanging all over the place. And I have printers in all kinds of locations. And I'm starting to get a little bit stressed out. 
Because like, I know everyone's looking at me and my trainer is still sitting over here just watching me. Like, I told you so. I told you not to touch it. And so I, I, I begin to pray. Because one of my worst fears is to look stupid publicly. I'm cool with it privately, but I don't want to publicly look stupid, all right? So I'm over here, I'm like really stressed out. I'm not, still not willing to say, I don't know how to fix this. I will not call Tim, okay? So I am just going to hard go through this, okay? Like I'm just going to power through and, and I begin to pray silently. And I'm like, God, just please let this work. Please let this work. They're staring at me. They know I don't know what I'm doing. Just let this work. And like, I'll, I'll read my Bible for every second for the rest of my life. I promise I will. Just let it work. Like, I'm making all sorts of deals that I cannot uphold. And I'm just, I'm begging <laughs> that this is going to work. And, 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 and sure enough, th- this has an uh, un- unusual ending for me. But sure enough, as I start plugging them in one by one, the printers start to work. And I'm just... <sighs> And, and they're like, oh, you did such a good job. I'm like, yeah, I did. I don't, I don't know how that worked. Like, I walked out, like, I was walking away with Katie, and I'm like, I don't know how that worked. I was like, but it did. And, and I really think God used that moment to teach me a little bit of humility because I learned to listen to words of wisdom from people that know a little better than I do, um, which Jessica insisted I also tell this story because not all of my stories end as well as that one did. Um, Jessica insisted I tell this story. Uh, so a couple weeks ago, we were leaving church. Um, we had everything shut off. We were the last ones out, and, and uh, we always park over here on the other side of the building. Uh, just kidding. We park over there. Don't key my car. All right, so we, we park uh, somewhere around the building, and she kept telling me to go get my car, and I'm, I'm a typical guy, so I'm just like, in a minute. I'll do it in a minute. I'll, just a minute, okay? I'm busy. Like, I'm talking, all right? And, and she kept telling me to, to go get it, and, and finally I was like, all right, I'm going to go get it. And as soon as I step out the door, like, the heavens opened up, and like a Noah-sized flood just hits, and it is just pouring. And I turn around and look at her, and she's looking at me like this. And so I turn and walk out the door, and I just, I get drenched going to get the car. Should have listened, Right? So I've learned, I'm getting better. I'm, I'm listening to the words of wisdom from the people around me. Uh, but, but so often, and, and I'm hoping I'm not the only one here, but so often when I have an idea in my head, I'm pretty stubborn, and, and I assume my idea is the correct one, or I, I assume that I'm capable of doing things I'm not really capable of doing. I know uh, whenever Pastor Dennis asked me to do something, he's like, yeah, can we do this? I'm like, oh yeah, we can figure it out. Now get in there, I'm like, all right, this was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. But we, we, we powered through. I, I usually think that whatever it is, I can figure it out. Um, but so often, I, I get kind of in this mindset that my idea is correct, and it's hard for me to listen to other people because I assume I'm right until I'm not, and then it's awkward. But we don't talk about those times, all right? So I'm hoping I'm not the only one here that sometimes assumes that you're right, and you have trouble accepting the words of wisdom from other people, that you have trouble listening when someone tells you, no, you've got to do it this way, or your, your spouse is like, no, we don't have enough money for this, or no, you really don't need a new boat, or like, right? Like, I hope that, that there's others in here that's kind of like that, that we really think that we know best, and we're pretty sure we need that new boat, pretty sure of it. I don't have anything to haul it with, but I can figure that out, Right? But we get pretty sure and we stop listening. And so often we trust our thoughts and our abilities and our ideas more than those around us. 
Now, it's bad enough when we do that to our peers or to our spouses or our elders, right? It's bad enough when we do it to them, but so often we kind of do the same thing with God. That so often we don't follow God's plan or God's calling or God's prompting on our life because it's not our idea. It's not our plan. It doesn't follow suit with the way we want to live and how we want our life to go. It's different, and so we basically brush it off and say, no, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do what I want to do because I have a plan, and it's a good plan, and it's going to work out perfectly fine. And, and so often we brush off what God has in store for us, and oftentimes it's caused by fear. And today's message is called Fear's Remedy. Fear's Remedy. He said, we're afraid, we're afraid to follow God often because we don't trust Him. Now, that's a hard statement. It's hard to understand. I don't know if it's hard to understand, but it's hard to accept it about ourselves. It's hard for me to accept it about myself. But I don't follow God because I don't trust Him. And we've we got to think about the specifics. What does God tell us to do? Right? God frequently tells us that we should give generously. Frequently tells us we should tithe. Right? He frequently tells us that we should be telling other people about Jesus. He tells us that he should be the number one. He should be numero uno in our lives. He says that we should not sin, that we should not give in to temptation, that we should not swear or commit adultery. We, we should not do these things, but how often do we follow his commands? For example, to give generously. I know for myself, uh, whenever, before we started tithing, we simply said, trust me, I'm looking at the numbers. We don't have any money to give, right? But it says in Luke 6.38, give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Give and it will be given to you. So our excuse that we do not have anything to give is simply a lack of trust and a lack of faith. And it was us being afraid that God wasn't going to do what he said he was going to do. And so we kind of held on to it because we were afraid. And we trusted ourselves. We trusted our ability more than we trusted God's ability. It came down to fear. We're told that we should go and make disciples that we are to tell other people about Jesus. And so often, our response to that is, yeah, well, it would just, it'll, it'll get awkward. And what if they make fun of me? And what do they ridicule me? And what if they just, they don't want to hear it, and they don't want to hear it, so I shouldn't tell them because they don't want to hear it. And then that's, right? But, but Jesus' specific instructions before ascending to heaven, like the last thing he said, had to be somewhat important. He didn't say, like, eat chicken for dinner. Like, he, he was like, Go and make disciples of all nations. It's, it's, it's clearly important. But so often we make excuses as to why we can't do it. And it all comes from a fear. A fear that others won't understand. A fear that others will ridicule us. A fear that, that we'll be judged and that we won't live up to other standards. But you see, we're called to live up to one standard. And that's not the opinion of our peers. That's the opinion of the one true God. Right? But we're often afraid. Again, a pretty common fear right now has its own hashtag, is the uh, hashtag FOMO, fear of missing out. And, and so often when everyone around us is, you know, partying and having a good time and, and messing around and, and drinking and doing this, we're afraid that we're going to miss out 
on all that cool stuff. And just in case this whole God thing isn't real anyway, well, maybe we should just indulge and, you know, ask for forgiveness later. Right? That's, that's a fear that God's not who he says he is. That's a fear that we're going to miss out, that we're not going to have the fun everyone else is having. It's fear. And fear is the one thing that can defeat us the quickest. You see, and we enable fear by failing to trust God. We enable fear by failing to trust God because if we believe that God's plan would prevail and we believe that God's plan was good, then nothing at all would concern us. We enable fear by failing to trust God. And again, a deep statement. But I just want us to really reflect, as I've done this week, and really reflect on, am I trusting God with all areas of my life? If I'm not, and just being honest, we can be foolish to ourselves. That's perfectly fine. We just don't do it publicly. Um, Why? Why? Why do I not trust God with my finances? Why do I not trust God with my family? Why do I not trust God with my job or reaching my neighbor? Why? And I think essentially it's always going to come down to fear. Good news, though. Today we're talking about the remedy of fear. And I believe that we can overcome fear. But fear is the one thing that can constantly shake our faith. It's that one thing that can, can, while we're on fire, fear is the one thing that can hold us back. And it can mess us up. And today we're going to talk about how we overcome fear. And we're going to do that by concluding the book of Acts today. Sort of. So the book of Acts has 28 chapters. We are going to be finishing those out today. But the book of Acts doesn't actually end. Because in the original language, in the original Greek, it ends with a comma. And that is not how you end a book. You see, because Acts is actually the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not done acting. So the book of Acts is still being written by you and me. You know, not pen and paper, but by what God is doing through us to reach our world. That is still the acts of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts never ended. It continues on through each and every believer. But today, we're going to finish chapters 27 and 28, right? And so to catch us up, just to, just to make sure we're all on the same page, we know what's going on, we are going to figure out what's going on with Paul. So Acts ends with Paul. Um, we're going to talk about how Paul got to where he's at, where he's going to be. We're going to start in Acts 27.1 if everyone wants to get there. But before, we, before I start reading, I want to talk about Paul and his life and his journey he's going through. It is pretty crazy right now. It's like a soap opera with you know, less romance, a whole lot more bad guys, and, and a lot more betrayal. Um, so, so Paul, he goes to Jerusalem. To, uh, for Passover, and once he's there, he's recognized as the Apostle Paul, and immediately these guys like jump on him and just start beating him up, and they start mauling him, and then the officials come in, you know, to bring the peace, and they arrest Paul. How'd you like to be that guy? Like, you just got jumped, you got beat up, and then you get taken to jail. All right, so they take him, the Roman authorities begin to in- interrogate him, and they realize that he is actually innocent, so they can't just re- release him because they release him, all the other Jews are going to kill him. And so they actually send him to Felix, who is like the governor at this time. And now Felix is just trying to keep the peace. He doesn't know what to do. So what he does, instead of anything productive, is he, he puts Paul in prison and then forgets about him for two years. How would you like to have that story? 
Well, what'd you do last week? Oh, you know, I got put in prison. They forgot about me for a couple years. We're good, right? He wasn't even convicted of anything. They just wanted to get him out of the way and then left him there, right? But good news, there's silver lining, is that Paul actually wrote most of our New Testament while he was in prison that two years. That's where he wrote all the letters to the churches in the area, is during that two years. So Paul is sitting in prison. Finally, Felix kind of resigns, and a new governor comes up, a dude by the name of Festus, super cool name. Uh, he comes up, and Festus is trying to figure out what all his uh, responsibilities are now, and he realizes there's some guy locked up in cell 298, I don't know what number it was, but locked up in a cell, and he's like, okay, who's this cat? Let's figure it out. And he, call, he brings him out, and as soon as Paul sees the light of day, like apparently he hasn't got to talk to anyone or anything, because when he comes out, he's like, I appeal to Caesar, um, which was his right as a Roman citizen, that he had the right at any time, assuming he was actually you know, given uh, a court and, and all that stuff, that they would hear him, he had the right at any time to appeal to the highest level of government. At that time, it was a, it was a Caesar, which is not like Julius Caesar or a Caesar salad. It was a position. It was a position of authority. And at the time, the Caesar was a super cool, nice older gentleman by the name of Nero. Uh, if you're familiar with him, you know he was a real sweetheart. He... Uh, he liked, to, uh, he liked to throw parties where he would put Christians up on stakes and burn them to light their, his parties. Real nice guy, just a uh, guy to have a party with right there. Um, but yeah, he was, he was a pretty twisted individual. But Paul appeals to Nero, and we have to ask the question, right? Why? Because you have to assume that Paul has a better chance of getting freed by this dude named Festus than he does Nero, who likes to you know, make tiki torches out of Christians. We have to assume that. But Paul says, no, I appeal to Caesar. And the one reason is because Caesar was, or Nero, was in Rome. Now, Paul's whole ministry, his whole thing he wanted to do was to get to Rome. And this, we're about to be reading his journey to Rome, which was very interesting. But first, why did Paul want to go to Rome? Well, Rome was, at this time, the center of everything. Everything came into Rome. Everything went out from Rome. There's actually a phrase we still say today. It says, all roads lead to Rome. That is from this era because Rome was the central piece of everything. And he wanted to go to Rome because everything led into Rome, thus everything led back out of Rome. And Paul believed that if he could get the gospel to Rome, that it would lead out of there and go to the ends of the world. And he was willing to give his life to do that. So Paul, now we're going to read Paul's journey on how he actually gets to Rome. And uh, believe it or not, he did not board up the Southwestern 747 and fly there overnight. He, uh, he, he got to take a boat and a lot of other fun stuff happened. So let's read on. We're going to start in Acts 27. When the time came, we set sail for Italy. Paul and several other prisoners were placed in the custody of a Roman officer named Julius, a captain of the Imperial Regiment. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was also with us. We left on a ship whose home port was Adramidium on the northwest coast of the province of Asia. It was scheduled to make several stops at ports along the coast of the province. So I'm going to have them go and put up a map, because I think it's really interesting. It's, it's really easy to read this and lose, lose the meaning of all these locations, because a lot of stuff happens. But this is actually a map of what all happened, okay? Um, and the red line is, is the course that they took. So... We're going to start in verse 3. The next day when we docked at Sidon, so let's see, he starts over in Jerusalem. He ends up over here at Sidon. This is where they docked at. 
Julius was very kind to Paul and let him go ashore to visit with friends so they could provide for his needs. Putting out to sea from there, we encountered strong headwinds that made it difficult to keep the ship on course. So we sailed north of Cyprus between the island and the mainland. So this is where they come up through here. It's most likely that they're, they were going to go this way, right? That they're going to cross the sea here. But the winds made them stay close to the shore in case, you know, the boat broke and they could swim away, I guess. But they came through here. Okay, uh, keeping to the open sea, we passed along the coast of Sicilia and Pamphylia, landing at Myra in the province of Lycia. There the commanding officer found an Egyptian ship from Alexandria that was bound for Italy, and he put us on board. We had several days of slow sailing, and after great difficulty, we finally neared Canidus. So let's just, uh, let's look at this again. So they're in Myra, right? Several days of hard sailing got them here. That, that's not a large distance, but it took them several days to cover that distance, just to give you an idea how treacherous this voyage was. Okay, we had several days of slow sailing, and after great difficulty, we finally neared Canidus. But the wind was against us, so we sailed across to Crete and along the sheltered coast of the island past the Cape of Salmon. And this is where they cross this body of water over here and end up in Crete along Salmon. They're going to end up over in Fairhavens in just a moment. We struggled along the coast with great difficulty and finally arrived at Fairhavens near the town of Lycia. We had lost a lot of time. The weather was becoming dangerous for sea travel because it was so late in the fall, and Paul spoke to the ship's officers about it. Men, he said, I believe there is trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck, loss of cargo, and danger to our lives as well. But the officer in charge of the prisoners listened more to the ship's captain and the owner than to Paul. And since Fairhavens was an exposed harbor, a poor place to spend the winter, most of the crew wanted to go on to Phoenix, farther up the coast of Crete, and spend the winter there. Phoenix was a good harbor with only a southwest and northwest exposure. So it's not on the map, but this is Fairhavens, and we're told that Phoenix is just up the coast. So Benton Phoenix is right around here, okay? This is where they're headed. Don't jump ahead of me. Okay. When a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought they could make it. Now, I really like the way the NIV says that verse. It says, when a favorable wind started to blow in. And I just thought it was interesting because not everything that appears favorable is beneficial, okay? Not everything that looks like it's going to be good, like it's, it's the thing we should pursue, the thing we should have, not everything like that is beneficial. So they're heading from Fair Havens to Phoenix, which is right along Crete there. So they pulled up anchor and sailed close to the shore of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly, and a wind of typhoon strength called the Northeaster, which is a cool name, by the way, burst across the island and blew us out to sea. The sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale, which is a really fancy way of saying they gave up and just let the wind blow them wherever it's going to blow them, right? They just let it go. Let it go. We sailed along the sheltered side of a small island named Kata, where with great difficulty we hoisted aboard the lifeboat, did that, with the aboard the lifeboat being towed behind us. Then the sailors bound ropes around the hull of the ship to strengthen it. They were afraid of being driven across to the sandbars of Syrtis off the African coast, so they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven before the wind. The next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged on for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. So they made this 
voyage up through here, which is already off course, not how they planned, came up through here. Myra to Canidus took several days, and then they went from Canidus up here over here to the Crete, and they decided they did not want to stay in Fair Havens. It was a poor place to spend the winter. So they headed for Phoenix. The problem is, when they got started heading this way, a strong storm came, and they never made it to Phoenix. The storm blew them out into the middle of the sea. Not at all how they had planned for this to go. You see, Paul's journey didn't quite go as planned as, as we can tell. I'm sure he thought he was going to board up on a 747, first class it all the way there, two-day trip, be good, right? He probably didn't think that, but he thought it was going to go a lot smoother than this. Okay? He knew he was going to get to Rome, but he didn't expect all this to happen. And, and I want to say, just for a moment as we kind of pause here, that oftentimes this is how life looks, isn't it? That we have a plan from like the age of 10. We, we have a specific plan. We're going to get married, and then we're going to you know, have a, a spouse, and then we're going to get a house, and we're going to have a white picket fence, two and a half kids, and a dog named Boo Boo, and you know, like two cats, if that's your thing. Like we, we, we have this all planned out until it doesn't go how we have planned. Right? Because so often, we're headed to one place, but life takes over and it sends us completely somewhere else. That we have a plan that we're going to go to this place and we're going to do this thing and life is going to go this way and I'm going to go to this school and have this job and, until that doesn't work out. Until we get blown away by a strong wind and we end up in the middle of nowhere and we can't see the light of day. You see, I have another picture, if we can go and put that up. And so often we have a plan, and it looks like this. My plan was a little bit more downhill than this one, but it's cool. But we have a plan, and we think it's just going to be a, a quick little pedal, right? Uh, we played flag football this year, and we had a plan. We were going to go in. My, my flag football guys, I'll update you on this later. We went in. We had practice before the league started, and we were psyched up. We were ready to go. We were going in thinking, oh, there might be one of those teams that was going to beat us, you know, maybe if they played real hard, and we lost every game by a large margin. <laughs> but we had a plan. We didn't give up. We never gave up. We just got beaten really badly, but we never gave up. We've had fun. It was a lot of fun, but, but we had a plan, and it, it looks sort of like this one. We're just going to coast on to victory. But so often, life looks like the rest of this picture. Pretty much like that. Is that we, we, we have this plan. It's pretty straightforward. We're just going to go and it's going to happen. It's going to be perfect. But then life starts to throw wrenches in our plan, right? That, that we encounter valleys and we encounter mountains and we encounter obstacles and things that stand in our way. And suddenly we realize that life didn't go as planned. What we thought was going to happen didn't happen. That it's, it, actually, it's quite unfair, and we didn't plan on it. But I read, a, I read a quote this week that I really liked. It says, life is 10% what happens to you, and 90% how you react. I'll come back to that, but I like Mike Tyson's quote a little bit better. He says, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. I can contest that. Everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Life is the same way, guys. We're going to go to this school. We're going to have that marriage. We're going to have that job. Life's going to go great. We're going to make 10 figures a year or whatever. And until we don't. 
And today we're talking about what do we do when our plan doesn't go as planned? What do we do? Can I get the map back up? What do we do when our ship goes off course? What do we do when we're headed to one destination and we end up in a place we don't even recognize? What do we do when we don't get the acceptance letter to that school that we had our hearts set on? What do we do when our credit gets denied and we don't get that car we really wanted? What do we do when we think we have the dream job and we get let go the week before Christmas? What do we do when we have the perfect marriage and they have an affair? What do we do when we've worked so hard to raise our kids to go the right way and they completely go the opposite way? What do we do in those times? What do we do when what we plan for doesn't happen and we end up in the middle here? What do we do in those situations? Because so often, fear can consume us and it can rule us and it can lead us to places we never wanted to go. And if we allow that fear to come over us, it will do that. But guys, there is a remedy to fear. There, there is a, a way to overcome that fear. And the remedy of fear is faith. It's faith. It's faith in God. It's faith that even though I cannot see the light through the storms, it's having faith that God is going to get you where you need to go. It's that God has a purpose and God has a plan for your life and he's not abandoned you, but he's right there with you. Faith is that when I can't see the other side, I know that God can and God is getting me there. Faith is that though I am afraid, I will trust in him who leads me. That is what faith is. And faith is hard, right? Faith is difficult. Faith is not an easy task. It's not something we just, oh, I'm just going to have faith, right? Like I've heard people just say, just have faith. Like it's not a just thing. It's, a, it's incredibly difficult but it's because it takes you doing what these sailors had to do when they were blown out to sea and they could not fight against it anymore because we're going to fight, right? When we're in the darkness, we're going to be kicking, screaming, and scratching, and we're going to be putting in everything we have, but when we let go and we let God take control and when we allow him to take over and we say, okay, God, I give it up to you, then he can get us to where we're going to go. We have to do like the sailors and we have to let loose our sails and let God send us where he's going to send us. You see, because the sailors thought they were letting the wind just blow them around, but Paul knew that God was sending them somewhere through that wind. And so often life is just going to feel like it's beating us up and it's blowing us around. But truthfully, when we give the sails to Jesus, truthfully, he's leading us somewhere. He's sending us somewhere. He may not have caused the darkness, but I believe that he can make the darkness into good, that he can use that. He can turn a test into a testimony, right? That he can use the darkness that we face to reach those around us. And we're about to see that happen in just a moment. But that even though... We are in a dark place. Even though we don't understand, even though we can't see or feel or understand what God is doing, we have to have faith. Now, faith is not easy. Faith is hard to struggle. I read a story this week, a little bit more lighthearted. Uh, there, was a, there was this little town. It was, a, it was a farming town. And so pretty much everything they had was through farming and through trade. And this town was experiencing, or I assume the whole state was experiencing, a, a very large drought. 
And, and so crops just weren't growing. And, and the whole town was becoming extremely worried about the rain. And so the local pastor called for a prayer meeting where they were going to gather together and they were going to pray for rain. And uh, they, they all gather there. It seems like the whole town is there. And they're, they're all gathered there. And as, as the pastor takes the pulpit, he, he walks up and he really, just everyone's kind of talking amongst themselves and talking to friends and neighbors. And, and he notices over here on the front row that there's this little girl just looking all giddy. She's smiling and she's looking up at the pastor. And, and he notices sitting right beside her open and ready to be used, was a bright pink umbrella. You see, everyone gathered to pray for rain. She just expected God to answer. That's faith. That's faith. We can pray all day long, but are we expecting God to answer? Because that's what faith looks like. It's it's that believing that God is good and believing that God has the best in store for us and believing that God will act. That's faith. So let's read on, see what these guys ended up doing when they're all blown to sea. I'm going to start reading back in verse 21. No one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss, but take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For for last night, an angel of the... Of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. And he said, Don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said, but, he, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. I will tell you, said it too. Like, because the, the way he phrases that, is he's like, guys, it's okay, it's going to be fine, this is going to happen, it's going to be all good, really, we're going to be great, we're all going to be safe, and this is gonna, we're going to have a shipwreck, just so you know. Because um, he ends with that, we're still going to have a shipwreck. Like, even though God is taking care of us, right? even though God has his hand on us, even though God loves us, we're not going to avoid all the troubles this life throws at us. And that's not exactly good news, I suppose, but there is a reason. And I think when we understand the purpose We can understand the darkness, and it can help us have faith through it. So it's at this point that the sailors actually begin to measure the depth uh, of the sea. And and the way they did this, they did not have a depth finder. They took a rope, a weighted rope, and they would drop it down in the water, and they'd mark where it was. The first time they drop it, it's about 120 feet. Um, They wait a couple minutes, they drop it again. They're at about 90 feet. It's at this point that they realize they are quickly approaching land, and they need to slow down. So what they do is they throw their anchors out, and they, they drop their anchors down, and they start just praying to whom they prayed. I don't know. Maybe Paul already reached all of them. I don't know. But they started praying to see the light of day. And, and they, they kept praying and, and praying, and they were really just hoping that the light would come up and that they could see. And then it's around this same time that a couple guys just, uh, they're not in this party, they're just going to abandon everyone. They decide to get in one of the lifeboats and try to leave all Titanic style. And, and they get in their boat and they start to leave. And I think this is just so, so representative of us, uh, me, I don't know, that oftentimes when we see God's plan and we don't like God's plan, Rather than follow the plan, we try to get in our own lifeboat and leave. That we try to follow our own plan, we try to do our own thing, that whenever God's plan doesn't line up with our plan, and the way that he's leading us doesn't lead up to the way we're leading ourselves, we oftentimes try to make our own plan, and we try to escape. So Paul tells these men, 
Guys, get back in the ship. If you don't get in the ship, you'll die. You're only safe if you're in the ship. God is protecting this ship. You see, Paul knew the answer was faith, not fear. Fear is a natural reaction, but faith is a supernatural remedy. So the remedy of fear is faith. But I think there's something uh, very interesting about 39 through 41. This is a short passage. I'm going to read it real quick. Where is it? Here it is. When morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline, and they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. So they cut off the anchors and left them in the sea. Then they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, and headed toward shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship struck fast while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. Now what's interesting is where they, they wrecked their ship is right here. It's a little island called Malta, okay? So Malta is still a place today. Obviously, it didn't just disappear. I don't know why I said that. Okay, Malta, in present-day Malta, they have a couple churches there. One is called Shipwreck Cathedral because shipwreck. And the other is a smaller church in St. Paul's Bay where they believe the shipwreck actually took place. And in the 1960s, a group of divers actually went out off the coast of Malta and dove down, and there they found four Roman anchors. Now, there's actually a gentleman by the name of Ray Sianchio, who is actually part of the dive team, that found the anchors, and he described it in an interview as being a place where two seas actually come together, that the depth was about 90 feet deep, and it had like a sandy bottom, um, which if we read the full thing, this is how they explain it exactly. Now, these, these anchors have since been exhumed, and they've been put in the National Maritime Museum and simply labeled as four Roman anchors. But it's very well possible. It's the exact four anchors that Paul's ship cut off before wrecking into the, the ground. So I just thought that, was, I thought that was really interesting. So we'll finish our reading right here in verses 42 through 44. The soldiers wanted to, to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. Seems awful rude. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, so he didn't let them carry out their plan. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. The others held on to planks or debris from the broken ship, so everyone escaped safely to shore. So they all come up on this island of Malta. Um, and I was told in between services that they are actually called Maltese people. I just thought that was a dog. But um, so they land, they, they end up on this island of Malta, and these Maltesian people. They, uh, they build them a big fire, they provide warmth, they, they really, really take care of them. And, and while they're building this fire, Paul decides to help them out. So he starts gathering up wood, and, and he's gathering up this wood, and he's carrying it over to the fire when a snake, a poisonous snake, jumps out and latches onto his arm. And I don't know what Paul did with the wood, but we know that he took the snake and just shook it off into the fire. But the, the Maltese people, they seen Paul, and they assumed he was absolutely evil, because though he escaped the death from the seas, it, the God still wanted him dead and had him bit by a snake. But he shook it off into the fire, and he did not shrivel up and die as they assumed that he would. It's then that they actually started to respect Paul, and they actually started to listen to Paul. And Paul was able to minister to them, and he was able to heal them. And while he was there, he was able to plant a church on Malta with these people. He was able to reach these people through the bite of a serpent, which most of us, I'm assuming, would say would be a bad thing. But Paul saw it as an opportunity. You see, again, life is 10% what happens to you, 90% how you react. 
Because had Paul, when being bitten by that snake, reacted like I would have reacted and screamed and threw his arms in the air and flailed around on the ground, they probably wouldn't have thought the same thing about him. But because he had the faith that God was going to take care of him, he just shook it off in the fire and went on about his business. And that opened up an opportunity for him to reach these people and to build a church right there amongst them. You see, Paul had absolute faith. But faith is not the absence of fear. It's trusting God even though you are afraid. Faith is not the absence of fear. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you guys. We're all going to be afraid. We're all going to fear. We all have a plan for our life, and when it doesn't go according to plan, it freaks us out. And, and when we face difficult times and when we lose people, it, it hurts, and we're going to be afraid. But faith is not the absence of fear. It's trusting God, though we are afraid. Now, I want to end with one last story. And, and as, as I close, the worship team can come on up. Recently, I was, playing with, uh, I was praying uh, with a close friend who was, you know, really going through something and struggling. And, and uh, we were just talking, but as we were talking, I was, I was praying, and, and I wasn't necessarily praying. I was, uh, I was lamenting, which is uh, Christian for complaining to God. I was, I was complaining. I was, you know, God, why, why is this happening? God, why are you allowing this to happen? Why have you not stepped in? Why have you not solved this? Why have you not taken care of the issue? God, where are you? And then I said something along the lines that really seemed to get God's attention. I said something along the lines of, God, if you could simply remove this thing, they could do great things for you. And it's at that moment I felt like God stepped in and I I suddenly had nothing left to say, which is uh, rare for me. I was silent for a moment, and I felt like God just said to my heart, no, Jeff, you, you got it backwards. I'm going to do great things through this. What you assume is a hindrance, I'm going to use as a launching pad. What you assume is holding them back is what's going to get them into the lives of other people. And it's at that moment I would just I, I shut up. I was like, God, you are good. Your ways are not my ways. Your will is not my will. And your ideas are not my ideas. But I trust you. I trust you because you are good and you are holy. And you want what's best for your children, that you have a plan and you have a purpose. God, I give it all up to you today. One of my favorite verses of scriptures, Isaiah 43. It says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And, though the river, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. So I want to I want to speak to someone here today that I feel like might just be in that spot where life didn't go as planned and you feel like you're blown out to sea and you can't see the light of days and you've given up hope. But I believe God's speaking to someone in here today that you are His. He has called you by name. Though you pass through the waters, 
Though you go through the flames, they will not consume you. You are not done. It is not over. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what it looks like. But you are not alone. We are not following a God who is who abandons his children. He promises to be with us everywhere we go, in everything we face. He will be there. He will be the wind that blows us to our destination, that when we think life has defeated us, that we've had too much, that we can't overcome, that we can't face this, that it is just too much for us to bear. We might be right. It's not that God won't give us more than we can handle. There's not much we can handle. But the truth is, God will never send more than he can handle. Because there's nothing he can't handle. And I believe that whatever we're facing today, whatever darkness, it's okay because God's light shines the brightest in the darkest places. That he will do the most amazing transformation in the darkest places. That his light will shine, that he will not give up on you. That he will always be with you. He will always lead and guide you and be there in the midst with whatever you face. He has not left you, nor has he forsaken you. I don't know what you're facing. But I know that God loves you. That he sent his son to die for you. That he watches over you. And that he will get you through whatever you're facing. I don't know how it'll happen or when it'll happen, but I know that you can have faith and trust that God is good because he is always there. He is always present. He is always loving and he is always for you. I just want you to be encouraged today. It's not over. Your story's not complete. This is not the end. God is good. He is holy and he loves you. He has called you by name. You are his. Though you pass through the waters, they will not consume you. The fires will not overcome you. And just for the record, my friend I'm praying for, we're not through it. I wish I could tell you we've come to a conclusion in our story, but we're not there. We're in the middle of it. But we're having faith. When we can't see anything else, When we don't understand, when we can't see, when we don't hear God's voice, we still have to have faith, and I know it's hard. But wherever you are and whatever you're facing today, just know that God is good, that he loves you and he truly wants the best for you, and that whatever you're facing, he's not left you there, but he's by your side. Whatever you're going through, it is well. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much. I thank you so much that no matter what we go through, what we face, that we're not alone. God, I know that I am weak. I know that I can't handle it alone. But God, I'm so thankful that I don't have to. That you love me so much. That you'll be in the midst of the storm with me. That when my plans fail when I'm in the middle of the sea and when I've lost all hope because the darkness has consumed me. God, thank you that I can trust you. Thank you that I can know that you are truly good. And no matter what I face, it will not consume me. Not because I am so good, because you are. God, thank you for who you are. You know the hearts and the struggles of each and every person in here, Lord. I pray that you would be with each and every one of them. 
that you would lead them, you would guide them, that your Holy Spirit would provide strength and comfort. God, just let them know that you are good and that you are with them and that they are never alone for you are always in the midst of the storm and that you are always with them and that you love them wholeheartedly beyond understanding. Lord, I thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.